This scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke, the 13th chapter. It begins with the 10th verse. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he had said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at the wonderful things that he was doing. Here ends the reading. It has been said that history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Listen to that again. History doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And what I think that means, at least in in my own limited way of understanding that, is that the themes of history continue to play out over and over and over again. Even as we think we learn lessons, we end up doing similar things just in maybe more subtle ways or more manipulative ways or ways that they sneak in on the side. There's a theological term for this that most of us don't like and most of us don't understand, and it's called sin. We like to think of it as brokenness, darkness, evil sometimes even. But this rhyming that happens, it comes and it goes, and sometimes it's very apparent and sometimes it shrinks away a little bit, but I think it is always present, the darkness, the brokenness. And sometimes we see healing, and sometimes we see that the breach is even larger than what we realized. And so it's interesting to me that in the scripture passage that Keith read for us this morning from Isaiah 58 is talking about a time in the history, which I know all of you Bible scholars know, right? What's going on in third Isaiah? Did you know that there are three Isaiahs, right? So we believe that Isaiah, which is a long book, it's 66 chapters, 66 chapters. We believe that there are actually three different Isaiah writers and that they actually wrote at quite different times, but because the themes, the rhyming is so much the same, they all got put together. Copyright wasn't what it was like it, you know, like it used to be. You would write in someone's name under, underneath someone else's name and you might use their themes to address the, the your times, and it honored them. It wasn't, it wasn't a degradation of that person. It was to honor them. And so this is in third Isaiah, which I think is about the last 10 chapters of Isaiah. And it's writing, he, this writer, he or she, is writing about a time when 
the Israelites had been taken away from their homeland by the Babylonians. And if you, if you remember, there, there was a remnant that was left in, in Judah. There was a remnant that was left there in what we now call the Holy Land. There was a remnant that was left there. But most of the people had been taken away to other places. But now they were being allowed to come back. They had been, they'd been brought, so this is what we call post-exilic. I mean, post past the exile, they're coming back home now. And what's interesting about that is that the ones who had been left to stay for whatever reason by the Babylonians were looked at with mistrust and distrust by the folks who were coming back. Most of the religious and priestly class had been taken away from the homeland, and they were the ones with the power. They were the ones with the wealth. They were the ones who could manipulate things and do things to their own liking. And so as they're coming back, they want to rebuild the temple. And there's money being given for this. One of the, one of the pagan kings, or as they would call them, the pagan kings, the non-Jewish king, Cyrus, was giving money to re- help rebuild the temple. But what was happening? The people that the money was being given to were the Levites and the priests, and they were using it for their own purposes. History rhymes, doesn't it? (laughs) They were using it for their own purposes. They were blaming the fact that the temple was not being built in a timely fashion. They were blaming it on foreigners. History rhymes, doesn't it? They were telling the people that they needed to make sure that they were adhering to the Sabbath laws and rules and especially to their tithes and offerings. And they were embezzling from the tithes and offerings. Weren't using it for the purposes that it was supposed to be for. Yes, it was supposed to take care of those priests because they were still supposed to be devoted to leading the people and praising and honoring God, but it was supposed to provide for them, not provide them lavish homes, lavish clothes, all this sort of thing. History rhymes doesn't it? And how they were continuing to do this, well, the other part of this was that, that those in sort of the upper echelons, those who had more, more money, more wealth, more power, were not very happy with the fact that God, in God's wisdom, when the people had come into the promised land, had divided up the lands pretty equally among the different tribes. But People didn't like that because they wanted more for themselves, right? So some of the some of some people, of course, would, you know, maybe maybe they'd have a bad year with their crops. And so they'd have to they'd have to become indebted to to somebody else who who had who had more wealth or who had more money. And so they would use that, you know, the fact that they were indebted to them as a way to get their land. And they called that putting the yoke on someone. If you were indebted to somebody else, it was the euphemism or the, the metaphor was you, you had a yoke on you. And so this kind of manipulation, this kind of thing was, was, was just going on and was, and was pretty rampant, at least as far as we read through the history, we see, that we see it happening. You can read in other books of the Bible that are talking about this time that, that this is what was going on. And so 3rd Isaiah writes this. If you remove the yoke from among you, Meaning, quit oppressing people. 
Quit using people's indebtedness to manipulate them into giving you their land and taking things away from them that are rightfully theirs. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger. You ever have anybody do this to you? How's that feel, right? But you know what my mom always said? You got three pointing back at you. (laughs) If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually, will satisfy your needs in parched places, will make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Now, if you can imagine being one of these Israelites who had been in exile or even who had been left there and your temple, the center of your faith and life had been destroyed, this next one will really get you. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, meaning you're going to have children and they're going to have children and they're going to have children. There's going to be a foundation for many generations and what a blessing that is to you. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in, the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. I'll never forget my time uh, in Israel, and it was amazing when you were in Jerusalem and just this beautiful, in a sense, shining city. The white stone there is plentiful, and so, so many of the buildings are built with this white stone, so it is almost like the, the, the buildings shine, just bright white. But then you would cross over into what we would now call Palestine, outside of Israeli territory, supposedly, and what you, would, what you would do is sometimes you'd be driving along the road in the bus, but you'd look down the street over here, and there'd be holes the size of cars in the street. There would be buildings that were just falling in on themselves. There, some of them would be sort of half rebuilt, but not quite there. And so this vision, even today in the Holy Land, is pretty amazing. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. If you refrain from trampling the Sabbath, from pursuing your own interests on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, serving your own interests, or pursuing your own affairs— Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of your ancestor Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. If you honor the Sabbath, the Sabbath was designed so that the people would remember who God was, that God provides, that God gives what is needed that we do not have to work every day of our lives in order 
to feed ourselves, in order to clothe ourselves, that God, in God's infinite wisdom, even uh, I think one, one writer said, you know, on the, on the seventh day, it says, God rested, right? This writer says, God just didn't show up to the office that day. I like that a lot. For the people here were not honoring the Sabbath. Apparently, they must have been you know, going about their own way. They must have been perhaps doing business deals, or, or maybe they were making, making those who were indebted to them work on that day because they could. They were taking away from this honoring of, of the Sabbath. And again, you hear this rhyming, right, in history. You hear this rhyming in history when we, when we read the story of Jesus on the Sabbath day. So he heals on the Sabbath day, and, and the leader of the synagogue gets upset about it, right? Because he wants to do it right. He wants to take care of the Sabbath. He wants to protect the Sabbath in a way. But Jesus says, you don't get it. You don't get it. This honors God. And when we do what honors God on the Sabbath, that is Sabbath keeping, It's not exactly how he said it, but that's my translation. (laughs) When you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. Brothers and sisters, we are the ones called to be repairers of the breach. We are the ones who are called to be the restorer of streets to live in. When we miss that call, when we get so blinded by our own desires and needs for more, thinking that we are just merely providing for ourselves, when we overlook the needs of the oppressed and the needy, the widows and the orphans, as the Bible would say, We miss an opportunity to bring a healing, not just to ourselves, to our community, to our city, but to the nation and to the world. Too many people of faith are drawing lines in the sand these days about who's in and who's out. What is the right behavior? Jesus, don't heal on the Sabbath because you're not supposed to do anything on this day. Too many of us are people of faith are doing those kinds of things, putting people in boxes and saying, well, if they would do this, then maybe we'll give them that. We are the ones who are called to satisfy the needs of the hungry. We are the ones who are called to heal the sick. We are the ones who are called to look at our lives and to see what is broken and to see how we can begin to fix it. And we can't do it alone, right? I mean, it's a daunting task. You just start thinking about things that are broken around us, right? The relationship between the races, broken feels like. Our economic system feels quite broken. The fact that Americans use about 75% of the resources that are used on the earth, and I think, I don't even remember, we're, we're so, such a little percentage of the people, and yet there are people even in our own country who won't have good food to eat today, won't have nutritious food to eat. They might have food, 
but not food that nourishes their bodies. The fact that we're the most affluent culture in the history of the universe and we still have people who are living in boxes on the street. There are lots of things that are broken. I'm not here to blame us, but I'm here to call us. Because I hear God calling us, especially in this time when, when the language coming from some of our most powerful leaders is so divisive and so angry and feels so racist and derogatory toward people. We are the ones who are the repairers of the breach. How we use our words, how we use our lives, how we treat each other and care for each other and how we treat those who are different than us. That is what we are called to do. It is not enough, as one writer wrote, to refrain from oppressing the weak. It is not enough to refrain from oppressing the weak. The golden rule, the way Jesus said it, is the first time in history that the golden rule was said in the positive. Normally it would say, he would say, don't do unto others that which you don't want done unto you. Jesus said, do unto others. Do unto others. It's a proactive faith that we have. And I'm, though pride is a, not a great thing sometimes, I'm proud of this community called Westminster. Because we have waded in on some things that are broken in our community. And we're standing with those who are seeking healing, who are seeking hope, who are seeking to move forward. In even just this small way, the things that we do, we stand with them. But it's not easy. It takes resources. It takes time and energy. It's hard to see success, whatever that means. But that's not what we're called to. We're not called to success we aren't the ones who are going to bring the kingdom in. Jesus is the one who's going to bring the kingdom. And it's already among us. We can already see pieces and parts of it. There are streets that are getting repaired. There are breaches that are being restored. There are things that are being brought together. And it is time for us, followers of Jesus, to step forward even more, to look around at what is broken so that we might be the repairer of the breach. So brothers and sisters, may you, may you be healed from whatever it is that is broken in you. May whatever keeps you up at night, may you let that worry go. May whatever you think is dead in your life be like this fig tree out here. May it sprout new growth. May you see the hope and the possibility in your life like you've never seen it before. And may that hope and possibility that comes from God then drive you to look out at your community to bring healing and wholeness and life in Jesus' name. May we be called the repairers of the breach, the restorers of streets to live in. Amen.